Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Cersei podcast. Before we get into today's message, we want to remind you that if you'd like to get connected to what God is doing here in our local community, you can text the word Cersei to 88000 for more information. There you can let us know how we can be praying for you this week, get plugged into a life group, you can give online, sign up for a serve team, and so much more. We also want to let you know that you can join us live every Sunday in person at 9 or 11 a.m. or stream our 11 a.m. service live every week on Facebook and on YouTube. Finally, you can find today's message notes in the Bible app. Just tap the link in the podcast episode notes to follow along with us. Now let's get ready to hear a great message today. I want to do one thing before we start this morning, and if you are on our prayer team, I want you to stand up, okay? If you are on our prayer team, I just want you to stand up, and I want you to just look around the room if you see any of these people. These are the people who have been praying for us all year. Every time you fill out a Connect card, it goes to these these people. Anytime I hear about something, it goes to these people. So even though we haven't had corporate prayer in a while where you come up and we actually pray over you, um, prayer is not stopping. And so I want you to put your hands together for this group of people, and uh, we give God thanks for them. So thank, thank you so much. God bless you. I want to uh, speak again today, and I, it's not a series, but I would call this a part two to last week. And um, I want us to, to put us in a frame of mind of, of where I want to go with this. I want to ask you, a question that was asked of a man in the Bible. And I want to ask you that if God were to come to you and he were to say, ask me for anything you want, what, what would you ask for? I know it's big, it's loaded, it's philosophical. It would take you time. But I want you to think about maybe the first two or three things that come to your, your mind. I'll do anything you want. Just ask me for it. And I'll, I'll, I'll do it. We think of this, you know, uh, I, I think some of our, our culture may set in. We think of like a, a, a genie. You know, we've, we've rubbed the lamp and now we get a wish. And, um, you know, in Christianity, we certainly teach that we can ask of God. But there's faith involved in that. There's God's will is involved in that. But this, this really happened to a guy named Solomon. Solomon was King David's son. He was the third king of Israel. And God comes to him and he says, I want you to ask me for something. And so Solomon, as we all know, as, as, as it plays out, um, he, th- this is 1 Kings 3, by, by the way, if you want to check this out late, later this afternoon. Um, he says, I, I want to know what, what you want. And I want you to think for just a moment about what culture craves, kind of what, what we see in our own experience. We, we see a lot of fame. We see a lot of drive for pleasure. Um, we see a lot of drive for power, for possessions. Um, and I don't think really that those things that we see happening now were not happening then. It was still drives for power and possessions. There were still social statuses, and, and people wanted to be in awe of each other. That's been our history as long as, as we can, can trace it. But Solomon gives 
an answer that probably none of us would have expected a person to give. And he says, I want wisdom. Now, I'll tell you why that's, that's different here in just a moment, but he comes out with it and he says, listen, I just, I want to be wise. And you know how, how this plays out. God was so impressed by this that he says, not only am I going to give you what you, what you asked for, I'm going to give you wisdom, but I'm going to give you everything that you didn't ask for. And so we know by watching his life that he becomes so wise that rulers around the known world begin to seek him out, to consult with him, to ask about various things. He becomes extremely wealthy, uh, one of the most uh, popular kings um, in history, um, possibly um, equating to his father's fame. Uh, but either way, he asks for it. That's why we call him the wisest man to have ever lived, not because we know him, but because if it's a gift from God, then we know it's got to supersede anything that I've gained on my own. But later in life, Solomon begins to write things down. And we don't know what spurs this along. We don't know if someone asked him to do it. We don't know if he felt led to do it. But he speaks a lot to his son. And he says, my son. And then he gives him some wisdom. My son. And then he gives him some wisdom. And so we're thankful to have these little nuggets of insight about life and about what life was like then and how we can equate it now. And it's just, it's extremely powerful once we apply it and plug it in to certain circumstances. But I want to start in Proverbs chapter 4 and just go with what Solomon is going to say here in verse 7 and 8. He says, getting wisdom is the most important thing that you can do. Whatever else you get, get insight. Love wisdom, and she will make you great. Now, I want to define wisdom for just a moment so that we kind of know what we're working with, but biblical wisdom is a God-graced ability to make biblical uh, applications. It is something that you can see about life that's beyond your own experience. And because God's hand is on you, by God graced, you're able to take a principle that you've never experienced before and flesh it out. It's, it's wise. Or you're able to take an experience that may be common but you see greater depth to it. You may even be a step ahead and have great intuition or discernment about something and go, listen, if you stay on that particular road, let me tell you how this is going to play out for you. Uh, it, it comes in many, many forms. It can even manifest in a, in a feeling, a thought, an idea, a prayer. Wisdom can come in many, many different ways, but it's God-graced ability. Here's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Right now, we, we know so much, and we have access to so much. You can Google anything. You can ask Alexa anything. Sometimes she doesn't know the answer, but she's willing to talk back. We have 
access to, to data. And what's strange is like my generation saw that transition because um, when I was in college, you still had to go to the library and get a book. And, and if you wanted to do research, you had to Xerox it and take the pages with you. Um, I remember the very first time I used the internet, I was at Glenn Novak's house, and he was like, yeah, man, just type anything in there. I was like, anything at all? It's like anything. You know what, what my first Google search was, or my first search engine was Jeep. Typed in the word Jeep. And then I just looked at images of Jeeps that were, that were on there. Um, I just, we, we, have, we have a lot of access. And because of that, every field that you can come up with is increasing in knowledge so rapidly. But knowledge is when we can store it within our brains. We, we have a, a, a construct of holding it, of knowing something, of being able to connect dots and associate different things of knowledge. But wisdom is, is when it goes from my head and gets into my hands. Like it becomes something that I can practically use. It's not just me knowing it. It's not just knowledge. It's not just intellect. It's, it's um, application. And so God wants us to be able to have twofold, what to do and how to get it done. This becomes wisdom in every facet of our lives. This is not just about winning people to Christ. This is not about something that would transpire in eternity. This is about right now. That whatever it is that you're facing in your life, whatever it is that is challenging, you can look at, you can ask God, give me wisdom. He, he goes on to say, if you lack it, ask him for it. God, show me, tell me what it is I need to know and then how to apply it. Give me wisdom. And I don't know, this is just a question I'm asking, but when's the last time we've asked for that? Give us wisdom. When's the last time we've got out of political party mode and we've just said, God, give our leaders wisdom? Whether you voted for them, you didn't, you agree, you don't, it doesn't matter. You're now at a place where you need to go, God, help us. Give us wisdom. Give wisdom. Even when it's undeserved, give wisdom. Even if it's to people who don't serve you, give wisdom. Because it's such an incredible God-graced gift. So when it comes to what to do and how to do it, you know, the Bible talks about all through here about fools. And we talked a little bit about this last, last weekend. A biblical fool is someone who makes a life decision solely from their perspective or experience. So I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it, and I'm not going to ask any questions, and I'm not going to seek counsel from people who have gone before me, and I don't need to ask God about it because he's not in my, my body. I'm living this out. This is my life. It's my shot. And Solomon addresses this in Proverbs 14, 12. He says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but it's going to end in death. Okay? He said, this is how fools think. And this is how it's going to play out, that when we aren't seeking wisdom, we're going to get thoughts, we're going to get ideas, we're going to have these epiphany moments where we go, man, that, I think this sounds right, and this feels right, let's do it, but we haven't sought God, we haven't sought counsel, and because of that, it's going to be a way that seems right to us, 
but it's going to end in death. Now, this does not necessarily mean a physical death. This could mean that whatever it is that you're working on, got your hands on, could just die, end, cease. It's something that was very important to you. Something that you put a lot of sweat equity in. Something you threw some money at. Something you believed in. But it's going to end and stop and cease. Why? Because you're not operating it through wisdom. You're not operating it through, through counsel. Some people say, I just go with my natural instinct. Well, you know what else is nat- natural? Arsenic. Snake venom. Anthrax. Okay, All of which can cause you to cease. All right? A lack of wisdom can take our life down a long road that's a dead end. It's a hard road to travel. A rough experience that creates wear and tear on many areas of your life. And you end up miles away from where you intended. Now, I'm not trying to be, be crass, but have you ever visited with someone or, or you, you, have, you see someone in public and they just look like they are 20 to 30 years older than they really are? And you go, man, that person has really been through it. It's, it's a wear and tear. It, it, it comes from a life that is off-roading. It is, it is rough. It is hard. I mean, can, can you get there? Yeah, eventually. But it's not, it's not smooth. It doesn't come with confidence. It doesn't come with a God-graced application. It comes from a school of hard knocks. It comes from, okay, I'm going to figure this out on my own, and therefore I will constantly pay the consequence rather than saying, God, tell me what, what to do. Now, I'm going to read something in Proverbs, but before I do, wisdom in Proverbs is always referred to as, as a woman, which I find offensive. Now, if you think about this, women get boats, they get the planes, they get howitzer machine guns, and they get wisdom. You know what, what men get? Granddaddy long legs. That's all we get. That's all we get named after us. And in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 16, he's going to tell his son, and now us as his audience, what wisdom is like. And he says this, she is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare to her. That's a big statement. Nothing I desire, nothing can compare to her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways. Her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. Every man in here wants to marry her. This is an an incredible thing. Wisdom. I hope today in some way you can reframe this in your life and look at it and go, man, I've been missing out on some of that. I want to come back to that. Nothing can compare to her. 
So let's dive into chapter one for just a moment. When you get this, you can't unsee the picture within this chapter, okay? It's going to help you and I immensely. Chapter one gives us a wisdom plan, and it gives us a wisdom plan for our family. Now, I, I, I don't have time to really set this up as well as, as I want, but I can, I can tell you this. Family is one of the most important things in your life, and you know that. You value it. It's a core for you. Um, some of you would change your personality like, like that if someone was messing with your family. It, it, is, it is something of great, great value and some, something that you hold dear to you. And so in this wisdom plan, let's start off with Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And Solomon's going to teach us here there are three spheres of influence over our kids, our grandkids, and these spheres will either move them to wisdom or it will move them to foolishness, and you and I are personally involved in how that plays out. So the first sphere or realm that Solomon is going to address is in our homes, all right? That wisdom starts in our homes, all right, so let, 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 let me read this, and then we'll talk about it just a second. Proverbs 1, 8 and 9. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teachings. They are a garland of grace to your head and a chain to adorn your neck. All right, now keep in mind what he is describing as a garland and a chain is affluence, so he's saying, listen, this is so good that you are going to, just by listening to your father and your mother, you are going to feel affluent. You're going to feel a step above. You are going to feel like something has transitioned in your life, like you've taken the next step. It's going to be like a garland. It's going to be like a chain to adorn your neck. Something that people will look at you and go, man, that guy has got it together. Wisdom from your parents will do that. So this is where wisdom starts. He addresses it. In the first chapter, he brings in mom and dad on the scene. Now, I didn't think my parents uh, were smart until I hit my 20s. And I fought against them, resisted them, but something happened in my 20s. I was like, man, they are really smart. Like, they get this. They have gone ahead of this. And this is making sense. For the first however many years, you will be the primary influencer in your kid's life. You will always have some, but it's those early years where you are the primary. And it's going to dip sharply at about 13 and it'll start back when they want some money. And your kiddos are in training. And even though training for baseball or soccer or an instrument or cheer or dance or theater is great, the most important training they can get from you is how to gain wisdom. Keep in mind the definition. A God-graced ability to bring application to life. This starts in our home. You can't wait on somebody else to do it for you, right? You can't wait on the entertainment industry to do it. You can't wait on a political agenda to reveal it. You can't even wait on your church 
to reinforce it. You have to start this in your home, teaching your children how to think through a lens of wisdom. So parents, we got a small window of time. We can't waste it. We have a responsibility to teach our kids about God and how to make decisions according to the Bible. If you're wanting to follow Jesus, if you're wanting to be a Christian home, if you're wanting to hand it off to another generation, that has to be our source. We have to include statements like, what would God want us to do in this circumstance? As a Christian home, what is Scripture saying to do about this circumstance? Now, the church is here to help, but it's our responsibility as parents to raise up our children. You are the structure. The church is just the paint on, 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 on the walls. It's a final touch. Our children have to learn about giving and working and honoring and loving and forgiving and morals at home. This past week, and I went to visit my, my, my dad. And I, I show up and I knock on the door. Nobody answered, so I do what anybody. I just walked in. And I caught him outside on his deck studying from his Bible. This is not a, a, a rare occasion through the years, I have many memories of seeing him in the living room of our home or catching him like I did this week, going over his Bible lesson for the week and studying. Now, because of the way things happen, if, if I outlive him, his Bible will be something that is a special gift to me because it's marked up, it's highlighted, it has personal notes, it has personal prayers, and I would not give up that Bible uh, you could offer me a hundred bucks for it. Never thousand. No way. Hundred thousand. Absolutely. Because I'm not an idiot. <laughs> but anything less than that? No, absolutely not. The wisdom that's written on those pages or anything really, it becomes rich. It becomes valuable. Because the greatest gift you can give a kid is the example of, of your own life, of them watching you. And when they are grown with their own lives and living out their own passions, they will not care what you bought them as children, but they will have a million stories to tell about your life that you lived in front of them. They will gather around Thanksgiving tables and say, remember the time that you, and it will never include a monetary, or rarely will it include a monetary thing that you gave them. It will be something about your life that they saw, that they experienced, that now in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, they say, thank you for that. Man, because I saw that in your life, I used it in mine, and that is a God-graced gift to apply something that they have seen. Your life gives them a model for wisdom. Let me give you an example. What if we went to breakfast in the morning, but I brought my own breakfast, okay? So you order a super green smoothie with extra kale, and I, and I break out a Hostess cupcake and a Mountain Dew, and while we banter about life, I smoke a cigarette. Now, what would you think? The first thought would be, I'm not doing too bad. The second thought would be, he's not going to make it. Right? Don't be offended because I said cigarette. Come on. 
you would look at me and you would go, I, I think, I mean, are you, are you Mountain doing it every day? And I'm preaching because I, I got a good friend in this building right now who has to have a Mountain Dew every single morning. I'm talking to you. You know who I'm talking to. No, I'm man, I don't, I don't know if you're going to make it, man. You, are you throwing down Hostess products all the time? We look at that and we wonder, how's that going to play out for you? Well, listen, parents, if all we fed our soul was junk, Mountain Dew and Hostess products and cigarettes, and then we try to influence our children's soul from that position, how would that play out for us spiritually, emotionally, relationally? What are they seeing us do? In a very physical way, the way we handle stress, the way we handle our marriages, the way we worship, the way we experience Jesus in our home, the way we carry ourselves daily, the way we talk to some to food staff, the way the way we just interact generally with the public. How how are our children? What are we playing in the theater of life before them? Or are they looking and going, I don't I don't know if that's gonna work. I don't know that I want to grow up and chunk down Hostess and Mountain Dews and cigarettes. I I don't know. Don't set up your children to be conflicted. Bring in a model of wisdom to your home. That is great. So it it forms the question, what are we doing or what can we do to make sure our spouses and our children see Christ in us in the ways of wisdom? The second sphere around that Solomon is going to address is friendship, okay? Now, I hate to bust your bubble, but you're going to lose some influence over your your children. They're going to grow up. They will want to make choices independently of you. They will make some mistakes. Your experienced wisdom as a parent could be replaced by some kid you've never met who drives an old Camaro and smells like cheese. It is unavoidable. It could happen. And this is why it's important that we teach our children to be wise with their friendships. So in chapter 1 again, in verse 10, Solomon says, My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let us lie in wait for innocent blood. Let's ambush a harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast lots with us. We will all share. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set your foot on their path, for their feet rush into evil. Fools will look for companions. The Bible says the wise will walk with the wise. The Bible says bad company corrupts good behavior. Friends will determine on some level, and we talked a little bit about this last week, the quality and direction of your life. Who are you putting around you? So think about this. You are the sum total of your five closest friends. Right now, it's typical that that your thought life, the things you think are funny, Even the pursuits of life that you're going after will be a sum total of your five closest friends. So it's important who we put around us. There is a plant in Australia, and 
from its spores you can make bread. And it looks like, smells like, and tastes like bread. But it has zero vitamins, zero minerals. There is no benefit to it. And I'm not talking about a hostess product. But you can eat, eat this bread, fill your stomach, soothe your appetite, and at the same time, starve yourself to death. This is the kind of bread that foolish friends serve you. It's empty. It, 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 it may taste like friendship. It may smell like friendship. It may soothe an appetite of friendship. But in the end, you're going to be starving to death for something that is genuine and authentic. Choose wisely the people who are around you. Third, the fear of the Lord. And we talked about this in the beginning. Verse 7, I'm, I'm going to read it again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Solomon heard this from his dad many times, and his dad, I believe, pounded his fist on the table about this. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Let me disarm this term for just a second, because if you get this, you will open a fire hydrant of wisdom on, on, on your home. The fear of the Lord is not that you are afraid, okay? This, this word many times comes from one of respect or honor. It, it, is, it is tied closely to the word of reverence. It is also tied closely to mean an awe. The awe of the Lord the respect of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's not to go, I, I got to be so afraid of you or if I don't do everything you tell me, I'm going to go to hell. It's, it, it's not this, it's not this, I'm going to love you so you don't hate me mentality. It's a, I'm in awe of the position of God the character of God, the genuineness of God. And because I'm in such awe and respect of that, um, his words have weight in my life. Okay? So I, I, I want you to think about this. And if you haven't made this transition spiritually, I want you to think about it. My grandmother's generation used to always talk about how they got saved and baptized and did a lot of the things, a lot of the, a lot of the things that we would justify as going, oh, well, that, that's what Christians do. They did a lot of those things. And this is, this is her group sharing with me. I'm not saying it's everybody. A lot of that group and generation did that because they were scared of hell, and that was the driving force to live your life for God. And I realize I'm, I'm opening up a big can of worms there. This could, I could talk about this for hours, but if fearing God and being afraid of Him is what is driving our behavior, we've missed it. And we've missed the fact that God loves us deeply and that something was done so powerfully upon the cross that we've taught about it for millennia and still can't truly put our finger on it. We don't know what all was done, what all was won, 
what all happened, what all was set straight and put right um, by that big act. But our relationship of God, our behavior toward Him and other people, the driving force should not be an, an eternal place. It should be the, the awe of God. I, I'm, I'm in awe of, of who He is and what He is to me personally. I'm in awe of what, he, of what He's done. I'm in awe of how He came after me. I'm in awe of, of the rescue. I, I'm just, because of that, I give His words weight. Not because I'm scared of, of what comes later in eternity. I do it because he's with me right now. That I'm in him. And I, I, I would challenge your theology to make that, that, that shift. To know that God loves you. To know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of unlocking wisdom for your life. And it's not, okay, I'm, I'm afraid of you. You got me. Now, now make life work out for me. No, it's like, God, let's... Let's, I want to get so close I can hear the whisper into my spirit about what I need to do in this circumstance. And some of you are in a tough spot because you've got big life choices coming up. Career choices. Some of you have marriages that are unhealthy and you're asking God, how do we resolve this? You got a wayward child, and you're going, Lord, how do I bring them back on track? Big important things. Do we move? Do we stay? Do we sell? Do we build? What, what do we do? And you're needing the wisdom of God. Don't shake and tremble because you fear hell's flames. But come before God in an awe and respect of who he is and what he's done and the depth of his love. And go, I really need to hear from you. And I ask you for wisdom. And then listen. Be open to hear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but a fool will despise it. All right. I want to pray over you today. God, I'm so thankful for our homes. I'm thankful that we have an opportunity to influence our children. I'm thankful that when I hear you, my life plays out better. That God, when I take a step into wisdom, I'm saving myself from rough terrain. God, I thank you for the friends that are in our lives. And I, I pray again over our church, just like we did last week. God, I pray that you give us wisdom. Maybe we need to distance ourselves from a few people. Maybe we need to welcome a new group to our table, make, make room at our table for new friendships that are healthy. But God, today we start just by asking you. We ask you to give us wisdom. Tell us what to do in a very trying time, in a hard season, in a culture that, that's offended in a culture that's enraged, in a culture that does not get along. What do you want us to do? 
So God, whisper to us. Give us answers. Give us a God-graced ability to know and to apply. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys stand. Let's worship the Father today.